0: Hi, you're listening to Beyond the Grave. This is a podcast that explores cemeteries and the like to tell the stories of those who lie within or those who've been commemorated in some way. Whether a final resting place is in a graveyard, the bottom of the ocean, or the only marker to prove an existence is a simple memorial, there's always a story behind it from beyond the grave. I'm your host, Jamie Johnson. I'm not an expert on the subjects we will discuss, I simply have an interest in them. Uh, today we will present a story or two or seven of our dearly departed from Taper Memorial Gardens. This is episode eight, and since we are discussing topics of death um, and others surrounding it, some listener discretion is advised. The purpose of this podcast is to educate, so if you find the subject matter offensive or morbid, then this is not the podcast for you. And there will be some course language as well. My co-host for this episode eight is my mother again, Sylvia Vermette. Hi, Mom. Welcome. Hi, Jamie. (laughs) Okay, so we are doing our dearly departed from Tabor Memorial Gardens. We're going to start with those three graves that are in uh, the potter's field. We talked about that in episode seven. This information comes from Karen Ingram's research from the archives of the Tabor Times. And her information and summaries can be found on the Southland Funeral Chapel's website.
1: John William Alcorn. Born 1891, passed away April 2nd, 1917. Chief Folds, whoever that is, received notice that Sheep Herder had fallen into a reservoir and drowned. When he got there to investigate he saw that he had actually died from heart failure and was found 150 feet from the reservoir. John Alcorn had been working as a sheep herder since the previous Tuesday for a man named John Robertson. A Lethbridge coroner, Mr. Humphreys, was called to make an inquiry, and he made the ruling on cause of death. A warrant for the burial was then issued, and S.J. Leighton's undertaking partner performed the burial. There was also a Humphreys funeral partner when I lived there.
0: Oh, really? Probably the same one then.
1: Yeah, in Tabor.
0: This is in Tabor.
1: Yeah. Oh, I thought it said Lethbridge Corner.
0: Oh, no, he came to, they called the Lethbridge Corner to come to Tabor.
1: Yeah.
0: Yeah. So, probably the same one. Uh, Okay, next is Harry Gray. He uh, was a former employee of the Canadian Pacific Railway, or CPR as we call it. Harry was well known around town. He suffered epileptic seizures and had apparently not had one for some time before the one that ultimately killed him. Dr. Leach was called and he was able to resuscitate him, but shortly after he left, Harry died. An inquest was determined needless after Dr. Tughan, Tugin? a coroner from Grassy Lake, had seen his body. Harry had been living in a shack for weeks before his <clears throat> passing. He passed away September 6, 1911.
1: The next one is John D McDonald he was a proprietor of McDonald's auto livery at 47 years of age he locked and bolted himself into a room at the Tabor hotel and consumed half a bottle of strychnine many attempts were made to wake him by the hotel's owner ma hand but after failing to wake him chief falls was called he also did not get a response so he broke down the door with an axe finding mr McDonald dead from suicide coroner humphreys didn't call for an inquest after his examination we
0: can say that out loud that
1: would have been a terrible way to die (laughs) yeah Yeah.
0: you see the look on your face and you want to say something go ahead and say whatever you want okay yeah this is this is casual yeah say whatever you want and if you if you don't like what you said i can cut it out okay i probably won't but i'll say i'll say i'll cut it out (laughs) Okay, so uh, the next one is Jason Michael Lang. Um, This one, uh, some of our local listeners might remember this. This was a big news story at the time. This was back in 1999. So this is just eight days after the Columbine High School Massacre, where 12 students and one teacher lost their lives to two gunmen. April 28th, 1999 became the day Canada had its second fatal school shooting in 24 years. The shooter had apparently snapped, and that's quote-unquote snapped, after watching coverage of Columbine and was a victim of bullying since elementary school. The school was W.R. Myers High School in Tabor, Alberta. Jason Michael Lang, 17, was the only fatality. Do you remember this in the news? Yes. Um, Where was I here? Uh, Jason was born February 7, 1982, to parents Dale and Diane Lang in Calgary, Alberta, the summer prior to his passing, he spent time in Mexico on a youth mission trip with his church. He loved sports. He played soccer, golf, and hockey. His favorite hockey team was the Toronto Maple Leafs. Using his dad's equipment, he often played goal. In school, he was a teacher's aide. He was described as a, quote, a polite young man who was always considerate of others, smiling, happy, and joyous, end quote. He was saving money to buy his dream car and he worked part-time at a Mohawk gas station. Jason was killed on his older brother's birthday. Jason's father, Dale, a minister at the time of his death campaigned against bullying and school violence in hopes that this sort of thing wouldn't happen in the future. He did this for 10 years and has now stepped away from organized religion though his faith and devotion to God have not changed. One other was shot, but not fatally. According to a Global News article on April twenty eighth, 2019, by Bill Graveland, he, we're talking about the other shooting victim, who I won't name, uh, still thinks about it every day and struggles with work and life in general. Alberta Scholarship Programs manages the Jason Lang Memorial Scholarship. The scholarship awards outstanding academic achievement to Alberta post-secondary students. Uh, when I back, went back to school for my first year, uh, after my first year fashion program, I got a Jason Link scholarship, mm. and when I went to the university to do my theater degree, I got another one, mm. so that was nice. Um, so here's just a little comparison of what Canada versus the U.S. looks like in terms of school shootings. Uh, since 2016, there were 12 school shootings since 1975, so that's it for Canada, In the U.S., there were 17 school shootings in 2017 alone, more than we've had over a 44-year time period.
1: William Alvin Bennett. He was born August 27, 1886, in Dingle, Idaho. Dingle is in Bear Bear Lake County. He died August 31, 1963, at the age of 77. On July 1st, 1889, at the age of 16, William moved from Idaho to McGrath. His father had been called by the Mormon Church to help build a canal for the Alberta Irrigation and Railway Company. He helped his father on his homestead until 1903, when both him and his father took up separate homesteads in Tabor. He married Mary Walker in Salt Lake City in 1908. He was active in the church for most of his life. Some of the important positions he held were State Chairman of the Genealogical Committee, Second Counselor to Bishop Harold Wood, and a member of the Stake Sunday School Board of the Lethbridge Stake. The following information is from an expert excerpt from Things I Remember by William Alvin Bennett. When he was a kid, he had a toothache. His dad took him to a blacksmith, Billy Phillips, to have it pulled. Billy got a hold of his tongue with the forceps, but William couldn't say anything with his tongue in its grasp. Billy ended up pulling off a bit of his tongue, but when he finally got the forceps to grip his tooth, they slipped. William was done with that ordeal and wouldn't let him touch him again. He also talked about how bantam cockfighting was hot in those days. (laughs) you
0: can make this one.
1: The roosters had their combs trimmed off and their spurs sharpened. Little William decided that all of their chickens and hens should be fighting cocks, so he took a pair of scissors and cut off their combs.
0: (laughs) Your face.
1: Half of them (laughs) bled to death and his mother assumed they were maimed by a weasel. He never fessed up. There's another story about a homesteader who lived 10 miles from the Bennets. He threw a lit cigarette onto the prairie and it quickly spread. A police officer came along to help put out the blaze, and his help consisted of shooting one of Ike Bigelow's
0: cows. <laughs> I know I laughed when I read this too. There's a reason I gave you this one. <laughs> <laughs>
1: oh, okay. One of Ike Bigelow's cows splitting it in two and dragging the two halves over the fire to put it out. The fire was out before William got there to help. This was in Tabor, eh?
0: Yeah. <laughs> Do you know Ike Bigelow? No. No? I oh, don't know any of those people. No. <laughs> you get gross, eh? That's how you put out a fire. Okay, um, next is Douglas Francis. Uh, he was born in Tabor, Alberta on October thirty first, 1917 to parents Edwin Niels Francis and Evelyn Larson Francis. He was not given a middle name because he wasn't expected to survive since he was born two months premature weighing less than three and a half pounds he was the second of 11 children um because he was so small and susceptible to communicable disease in his early years he wasn't allowed to start school here take this one no this one uh he wasn't allowed to start school until he was seven years old he remembers one of his teachers uh, lining up the kids for a daily strapping on the hands because of either an ink blot in the exercise book or a misspelled word. Or just in case. Did you get them just in case? Sometimes,
1: yeah. Jeez.
0: Oh, you got them too? hand strapping?
1: They were still doing that. Oh, jeez. Yeah. I never got one. Lucky. We had a different teacher who. Like swatting you on the behind. she make you stand beside your desk and then she just... <laughs> <laughs> just come up and
0: walk you on the ass. Wind up and hit you. Yeah. Oh, yeah. God. Oh, yeah. that's so messed up. Um, his hands were constantly sore and as a result, he had terrible penmanship. In the book, From Tank 77 to Tabor Today. That's the book I'm lending you. And that's the book where um, these last few stories come from. Douglas recalls when he and his brother, Howard, got smallpox, they were quarantined in one of their bedrooms. Their food was delivered to the windowsill each day, and since it was peak strawberry season, the boys were tempted to sneak out to play a game where one would become the undisputed king of the strawberry patch. (laughs) I don't know how they played what they did. I think they just ran out there. (laughs) Whoever got there first was the undisputed king of the strawberry patch. Um... They threatened the other siblings with smallpox, if they told on them. Um, but eventually, all of the kids ended up getting smallpox anyway. Douglas was a determined student. During his high school years, he had to help his father plant crops and then harvest them at the end of the season. So he had to miss months of school to do this, and right before exams, he would be all night, out all night irrigating. He got 100% on a trigonometry departmental exam, he graduated high school in 1936. He worked on his father's farm for two years to save money for university. But in 1938, he was called to do a two-year mission. Mormon church again. Well, I think, I think these are all Mormon. Most of that book is Mormon settlers. Yeah. Um, where am I? Two-year mission. He went to BYU in 1946. Two years later he married Dorothy Mabel Litchfield. In 1949, Douglas lost an eye in a farming accident. He was helping one of the workers load pea vines into a truck. Uh, One would use the fork to move the vines away from the loading chute and when this guy had a fork full of vines to move, the truck hit a bump and Douglas got stuck in the eye with one of the fork times. Yeah, so he moved on to a different career uh, with the Municipal District of Tabor at the advice of his doctor to save his good eye from another unfortunate incident. Douglas and his wife have five children, three daughters, and two sons. Douglas passed away March 17, 1995, at the age of 78. We're only at 14 minutes.
1: Johnny Eugene Evanson. Johnny was born on July 18, 1914, in Tabor, Alberta. He married Ray Mendenhall on July 6, 1939. He and Ray had eight children together. The following anecdotes are from his memoirs, as told in the book, From Tank 77 to Tabor Today. He grew up in the north end of Tabor, near the water tank. He remembers the caretaker, Pete Hickey, with his 10-inch-long whiskers and big beard, keeping the boys from climbing up into the tank by telling telling them that there were big bears in the tank. When they figured out this was a fib, they would often go swimming in the tank. The boys would also herd gophers and brand them with their initials. <laughs> Johnny's herd had 15 to 20 gophers and he had made his brand with baling wire. <clears throat> they had the herds to protect them from the ranchers.
0: I don't really understand that. I think they just, they didn't want the ranchers to kill the gophers, I think, and they just herded them and all the boys would have their own herd, I guess.
1: Never I don't heard know. of that. Hmm. Yeah. As a child, he suffered from all the poxes, measles, and the mumps. He remembers seeing the colored cards on people's doors to indicate which pox was upon their house. He also recalls the first time he saw a plane fly over Taver. It was a de Havilland fi- biplane. It was this moment that inspired him to become a pilot and so he did at the age of 43. He and his son enrolled in the Lethbridge Flying Club and became the first father-son team to fly across Canada. Another of his sons obtained his pilot's license as well. When he was a kid, his interest in school was in gymnastics. He would travel across Alberta and Saskatchewan with a group of schoolmates to show off their skills. Johnny remembers that during the 1930s, Money was so scarce, so people would go and dig up a year's supply of coal by the river the river. The RCMP would patrol the area since the coal was owned by coal companies. The diggers would come at night to avoid being caught and fined, and they became known as the Moonlight Coal Company. Johnny tells us he's had the hard working privilege of seeing sugar beets in all stages from planting to harvest. He was an accomplished and hard working man. He died October 29th, 1999, at the age of
0: 85. One more. Uh, This one is, we're going to read this one verbatim from the book um, because um, it's a relative. This is Nicholas Corsa. This is my mother's grandfather. grandfather. Nicholas Corsa and Jane Paloa were married at Tabor, Alberta on January 23rd, 1921. Nicholas was born at... Lukovitsa Lukovitsa Bukovina Austria, Austria. <laughs> on August 31st 1894 and died June 26th 1972 Jane was born at Wesla oh Jesus Christ Cop Copp <sighs> in Galicia Austria in 18 I'm not going to try and pronounce that it's like Copp Coppix died Galicia, Austria in 1898, whatever, and died 1974. Their children, Helen, twin born March 13th, 1922, Stefa, twin born March 13th, 1922, died December 4th, 1922. That's Stefa. Um Helen survived? Yes.
1: Yes.
0: Okay. Um John born April 9th, 1924. That's my grandpa. That's my mom's dad. George, above children from second marriage, Uh, George, born April 21st, 1915, Anne, born May 11th, 1916, Mike, born July 28th, 1917, Mary, born September 22nd, 1918, Bill, born January 6th, 1920, Alexander, born March 3rd, 1921. That's a lot of kids. Mm Mm-hmm above children from first marriage to john powell born in zarnovich austria in 1890 married july 18th in tabor alberta john died in 1920. in a world which
1: has become so complex so busy and rushed it's truly refreshing to find people who live simply who enjoy beauty and who loved the good company of friends and family. This well describes Nick and Jane Corsa, now deceased of Tabor, Alberta. Nick Corsa was born in Luca Vista, Bukovina, Austria, on August thirty first, eighteen ninety four
0: to Did you read that? Yeah, they repeat they repeat okay. it. Like this is like a summary. They always do the first paragraph as a summary of okay. who they're married to and how many kids they had, and then the re- then then they kind of get into the story of their life.
1: Okay. I'll just keep reading. Yeah, that. just keep reading. He grew up in a family of one brother and two sisters in Austria. In 1911 he came to Canada and for a year he worked his way across Canada as a labourer on the railroad. Finally in 1912 he settled in Tabor, Alberta where he began working in the coal mines. Jane Palowa was born in Wesla, (laughs) Copies <laughs> that's the one I couldn't pronounce. Galicia, Austria, in the year 1898, to Andrew and Magda Paloa. She too came to Canada, and on June 22, 1914, she arrived in the New York. In New York, where in the middle of the harbor, she saw a great gray statue, its arm raising high into the air, the Statue of Liberty. Her marriage had been prearranged, and on July 18, 1914. In Tabor, Alberta, she married John Powell, a native
0: of Czarnowitz, Austria. Do you want to Sure, next. To John and Jane Powell were born George, Anne, Mike, Mary, Billy, and Alex Powell. While Jane was expecting Alex, John Powell was killed in a mining accident, oh geez, in 1920. Without her father and husband, the family had difficulty providing for the bare necessities with the help of Cappy Falls, a town policeman, he, he's the guy who shot the cow
1: mm-hmm. and
0: split it in two <laughs> in the other story, a town policeman, their needs were taken care of partially. Nick, who at this time was working in the mines, would drag logs into the alley behind Jane's house on the south side of Tabor, where they were found and used for heat by the family during the winter. Well, that was nice. Mm-hmm. These acts of kindness were rewarded. When on January 21st, 1921, Nick and and Jane were married. (laughs) Here's some logs. (laughs) Okay, I'll marry you. (laughs) That's what that sounds like. It's kind of sweet. It it, it is sweet. These acts of kindness were rewarded. When on January 21st, 1921, Nick and Jane were married in St. Theodore's Anglican Church in Tabor. The family continued to grow with the births of twins, Helen and Stefa, John and George. Stefa died though, when not yet a year old. Nick and Jane loved all their children and respected them. Out of consideration for them, most of the family never knew till later that Alex, the last of John Powell's sons, was born not very soon after Nick and Jane were married. They did not want their sons and daughters to misunderstand and disrespect them. Well, that's nice.
1: Nick and Jane were both hard workers. While working in the majestic coal miners, Nick had the reputation for being one of the strongest men in Tabor. Of him it was said he could lift an overturned mining car full of coal and set it back on the tracks. He was big. Was he? Yeah, big and strong. For forty four years he worked in the coal mines. He was also an ardent gardener.
0: Yes. Just like Grandpa. he was. Is yeah. that where you got it from?
1: Yeah. During and after the Depression, he sold bedding plants, for which he became well-known. During the summer months, their garden was abloom with beautiful flowers, and the vegetable garden yielded choice fresh vegetables. After a visit with Nick or Jane, family and friends departed laden with delicious vegetables from the garden. We got ours over the fence because we lived right next door. Oh, nice. <laughs> yeah. Nice. Nick and Jane cared for small animals, and even after the passing of an ordinance in Tabor preventing prohibiting farm animals within town limit, limits they were allowed to keep their chickens which they spoiled and treated as part of the family and ate them anyway oh, really? <laughs> oh yeah
0: <laughs> you didn't waste food well yeah we did that with grandma's chickens too yeah. they were like our family but then we gave we them butchered, names. But we we gave them Remember names and then we, we butchered them
1: <laughs> jane had great self-will on her own with the help and with the help of a first grade reader and with Nick's help, she learned to read and write Ukrainian. As well as caring for her home and children, she helped Nick with the garden. She was a very good cook and loved to prepare cabbage rolls and turkey for their large family each Christmas.
0: Were you there for those?
1: Yes, she made. She had a secret way of making her cabbage rolls and I didn't learn till May later that it was uh, the sour cabbage heads that you buy. Only she made her own of those in her crocks. Oh. Pickled huh. them. The children, pals of courses, loved and respected Nick and Jane who were affectionately known as Ma and Pa. Nick was an honest man when he spoke, his children didn't doubt his word. Each Christmas Eve, children and grandchildren met together, usually in Nick and Jane's home. Gathered in the living room, they would eat good food, drink and enjoy each other's company. They gave gifts to their children, and a box of chocolates was given to everyone, children and grandchildren. Each box of chocolates was individually signed and painstakingly addressed by Nick and Jane. Misspellings were not uncommon. They were the big boxes. Yeah, you they need were to see nice.
0: One. So you got, all Every, the kids got a one pound. Everyone.
1: There was... Seven boxes of chocolates in our house, six boxes of chocolates in our house Christmas morning from that night.
0: So you and your brothers and sisters all got the one pound box. Yes.
1: And then my parents got the I think two, two or pound two pounds. Yeah. Two pound
0: boxes. Pot of, of chocolate. chocolate. Huh.
1: Yeah. They enjoyed their family and cherished each visit with them. Jane had a spontaneous sense of humor. One day John, her son That's my grandpa prepared to leave on an errand downtown. This he explained to Jane after a brief moment, very seriously in her broken English and Ukrainian accent, she told him not to stay at the palace or bar too long. <laughs> he was a little he kid. didn't listen. This made visits to them by the family and friends more enjoyable. What was she like as a grandma? Quiet, but smart. Hmm. Very quiet, loving.
0: They both believed in God and attended St. Theodore's Anglican Church. Both read the Bible regularly. In their rustic small home, they lived modestly, saving and spending carefully the money they earned. There was no hot water plumbing in the house and few modern appliances or conveniences. They were even without plumbing for an indoor bathroom. They lived very simply. Nick, from his experience in the coal miners, knew much about the earth and rock formations all around Tabor. He knew how to shear sheep and was one of the best shearers in the area. Did you know that? No, didn't ever know that. After leaving the coal mines, he worked as a gardener for Cornwall Canning. Was that the cannery grandpa worked at? Yeah. Yep. The golf course and for some people in town until his retirement in 1968. He loved to hunt mushrooms and take walks out into the country, especially with one of his children where together they could talk. When given the opportunity, he especially enjoyed fishing. It was while fishing on June 26, 1972, that he suffered a fatal heart attack at the age of 77. He loved and enjoyed the land, its beauty, its fruits, and he enjoyed working with it. After Nick's death,
1: Jane especially cherished and longed for visits from her family. She loved them and loved their attention of her. When asked, she would tell her family she did not feel well or could not see clearly. Then, ironically, she would look through the window where, high in the sky, she'd focus her, your attention on a minute object, an airplane. Her home being remote and lonely, she decided to enter the senior citizen's home in Tabor. Here she continued to receive visits from her family. On August 24, 1974, in the presence of most of her children, she peacefully passed away at the age of 76. What's your home? Survivors of both Nick and Jane include six sons, three daughters, 32 grandchildren and
0: 43 great-grandchildren. But this was printed this book was printed yeah. in uh, where is it? 1977. Yeah. So there's more grandchildren that weren't born yet me and yes, and some and others. I think all the
1: children are gone now. Uh, I think Helen. So- Was the last one.
0: Yeah, there's a lot of courses. Yeah. On the, if you go to the Find a Grave website, you can see, and they link, like, when you pull up, when you search grandpa's name, it'll say parents and then siblings, and then you can click on each one of theirs, and it's kind of neat. Yeah. Yeah. So that was Nick Corset. Very interesting. Yeah. So that's it. It It's hard to pick because there's so many good ones in there. When you read that book, you'll hear a lot of stories of the, the blizzard of 1928. And there was a, did I tell you about the rabbit thing? The rabbit plague of 1927? No. Oh. Well, Never
1: heard of that either.
0: Well, this was way before you were born.
1: I know, but I would have.
0: Maybe your dad would
1: have. He was probably grandpa. part of a
0: lot of these things. Yeah, the, the rabbit um, problem was they would round them up and they had a V-shaped enclosure to corral them into, and then they just beat them to death with baseball bats. I know. That's it. That's all uh, about that. I won't say any more about that. (laughs) Um, Yeah, there's some really interesting stuff in there. And and when you you read them, the stories in the book, you can almost hear their voice because they're speaking in their own words. Yeah. So you'll hear a lot of, like, I don't know. It's really hard to explain. Like you can just—you can almost hear an old-timey voice, like a man's voice, telling the story. Like grandpa's, yeah.
1: Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's really would have cool. been a a boy then, yeah.
0: Yeah. Um. So that's it for episode eight. Thank you so much for tuning in. You're welcome. Yeah. You anything else you want to add? No, I don't. Um. I am still looking for stories of. Uh, your experiences in a cemetery where maybe you got spooked, or maybe you know of a haunted cemetery, or um, I don't know, maybe you just have a fun Halloween story you'd like to share, so please email that to me so I can get together uh, a group of a gathering of stories for a Halloween episode. You can email those to me at beyondthegravepodcast at gmail.com. You can support the show if you want by telling a friend or giving me a review Or just simply subscribing so you don't miss any future episodes. You can find me on Instagram, Facebook, or Twitter. Um, So thank you for uh, being my co-host again. Mom, Sylvia. Thanks, George. Okay, that's it. Thank you. Goodbye.